Hey everyone, welcome to episode three of the Unwrap podcast, where we interview students, freelancers, and aspiring artists entering the games industry. Joining us on today's episode, we have Georgia Copley, graduate environments artist from Sheffield Hallam University. How are you doing today, Georgia? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Can't complain. Thank you for taking the time to chat today. I've really been looking forward to it. No, thank you for inviting me. I've been really excited about it. Always a pleasure. Okay, diving right into it. Um, I have your art station in front of me and I've been looking through a couple of your pieces over here. So the first thing that's apparent to me is just you have a really wide variety of work in your piece. You have pieces ranging from materials to props to environments, which are both realistic and stylized. So what I wanted to ask you was, have you consciously gone about experimenting with different styles in order to find what you enjoy best or is your art station a sort of natural progression leading to your latest piece yeah very very much a bit both really i mean it it was all obviously down to pretty much all of my portfolio is uni work and to begin with they kind of introduced us um into a realist realistic aspect to begin with and then during second year and third year um we started to be able to go down what we wanted to specialize in and in my third year i did a stylized piece which i'd not done before and i enjoyed it that much i knew it was sort of the area i wanted to work in but i get an equal enjoyment out of realistic um but yeah some there's 2d things on there and materials and stuff that are just from my sort of early part of uni um that i haven't decided to take from my portfolio yet Okay, no. But um, it's interesting you say that. So is it, do you think it's quite normal for universities to start people down the realistic path before letting them go into stylized if they'd like? I think so, because I think it kind of um, comes under learning the fundamentals, um, especially when, if you're doing stylized PBR, because I think in a sense, it's, uh, I feel sometimes it's easier um, with stylized because realistic there's less room to go wrong you can't experiment with it as much whereas stylized you can fake a lot of it you know you can fake you can exaggerate stuff and get away with it yes and we'll get into stylized in a bit because I think I need to I need to top up my stylized knowledge a little bit because I know <laughs> absolutely next to nothing about it but um in the meantime, um, expanding on the point of your art station a little bit. So now that you've graduated, you're now job hunting, I assume. Yes, very much so. Doing a couple of freelance um, projects that um, getting a couple of offers here, here and there, but nothing concrete yet. Okay, so so when applying to studios or for freelance gigs or anything with your portfolio, would you personally choose to isolate the pieces from your portfolio which best suit the style of the place where you're applying or would you submit all the pieces to show that you have a wider range of skills i mean i generally link just my portfolio but um there is some stuff hidden on there you know in the past i've done uh, character art um as part of one one of my uni modules which i'm very proud of that piece but it doesn't make sense to have it on there if character art is not something i want to pursue so in that regard sometimes i might cater it i mean on my cv my environment art is a header of it just to get that first impression in there and then yeah i think for me i i feel better being able to show that i have traditional skills as well as 
uh, 3D and digital. Yes, definitely. Because I feel like they all do sort of, they interlink with each other. I feel like people who have a strong sort of 2D sense on of those fundamentals, often it really does trans- translate well into their 3D work. Definitely. I mean, during this freelance I'm working on, you know, sometimes it's not always a case of, okay, we need um, this 3D asset making. I think it's always going to be beneficial if you know how to concept a little bit. It doesn't have to be perfect, but if you can at least sketch some ideas down um, to get that iteration process in, then I think it's really helpful. Yes, definitely. Ryan, um, Ryan Thomason Jones, the guy who we had on the podcast in the previous episode, we talked a little bit about this. And it's interesting that you say that about concepting because we had a little bit of a discussion saying that it it can be good and it may be beneficial for you to be able to do a little bit of your own concepting. But we, I think we generally agreed that you shouldn't you shouldn't really market it as part of your portfolio because maybe it, it would detract from an environment artist portfolio, for example. What do you what do you think of that? Yeah, no, I agree. I think it you there should be a nice in my opinion, there should be a nice blend between showing your portfolio should clearly show what you want to specialize in. In my case, environment art, you know, or sort of generalist uh prop. But I think if you can just sort of sneak some extra skills that you might have in there that people don't always expect of 3D artists like traditional skills, then I think it's a bonus. I don't think it's going to have a negative impact too much. But I think if you've got too much concept work in there, then, yeah, exactly what you Ryan have said, it takes away the focus of what you're applying for, you know, to employers. So Mm, I think there's definitely a difference between showing that you have additional skills which might be useful and then also sort of branching out too much i know i've seen quite a few portfolios recently that i can't really pin down if i didn't look at their header under their r station i couldn't really tell what it is they do because you know there's you know a handful of props handful of materials so i think it is important to be able to just look at a portfolio and tell what someone's applying for without really having to check the the job application really yeah, I agree. And I think um, in that regard, I need to trim some of mine down. It's something I've thought about doing. I'm doing a little personal project now. And sort of in a way, once I make something new, I'll probably remove something old on there um, because there's no, you know, there's now no longer need to show it when I've already improved the skills. Mm, well, I mean, in my opinion, looking at yours now, I see that you have three environments, a couple of props, some materials. I wouldn't say that you would need to trim anything from that i would just i know that i hear a lot that lots of artists recommend creating those little albums for your different art station pieces so maybe your yeah. environments yeah. your materials so yeah but honestly you've got yeah, a, you've got a really good portfolio here i really enjoyed looking through it earlier thank you so also touching on something that ryan and i spoke about last week and also you're now obviously in a bit in the same boat doing your job hunting are you are you applying everywhere sort of indiscriminately or are you specifically focusing on studios or people that would maybe focus more on stylized or anything like that uh i'm applying for anything i can sort of get my hands on at the moment um for me i've kind of put myself in a position because i can't move too far from where i am now um so you know you kind of I am limiting myself in that regard, but 
I've applied for a few places and now not really looking at whether they're stylized or not because I feel you know I feel more comfortable in stylized and I do enjoy it but like I said earlier I still enjoy realistic and I still think I've got enough skills in there that might need improving but that enough to show you know yes and I think you've put yourself in a position where at least if as if with mine and quite a few other people's portfolios based on advice that we've been given we do tend to focus on either realistic or stylized in isolation so at least if you are applying everywhere you do have the portfolio that can back up either stylistic or realistic yeah and i think the sort of style i go for at the moment shows hints of realism in there with the sort of pbr elements because i don't go you know fully hand painted although that is something i want to try and delve into it's not something i want to focus on because i do enjoy getting those realistic aspects in the textures and whatnot mm-hmm. so so you mentioned that you've been applying for freelance jobs as well so i'm sure that if you are doing anything at the moment i'm sure that you have some sort of contract which prohibits you from speaking too freely about it but maybe <laughs> Maybe um, maybe we can talk a bit about your process that you've been going through for finding freelance jobs in terms of advertising yourself and your work. Um, so I was quite lucky at the moment because after um, finishing my final project, I got a lot of good feedback on my final project. And it's sort of, it's I've had people approach me, um, so which ended up, uh, me doing a very small article for a new sort of community website called uh, Games Design Community and they asked me to do a little article so I did that and some people have seen it uh, through you know discord servers that I'm in in the sort of uh, industry community and I had a guy approach me and say hey we're making a little game in our spare time if you'd you know, we could do with some assets making if you want mine. So we discussed, you know, a fair budget. <laughs> and that's what I'm working on right now, basically. It's not taking too much of my time, but it's it's quite fun. And, you know, in the meantime, it'll keep me going while I'm still searching for other jobs. Exactly. And I think I think this is a sort of weird time period that not a lot of people think about. It's it's that it's that time period between graduation and getting your first your first ideal job, I'd like to say. Yeah, so yeah. I think we all do need something at this stage just just to keep our heads above water a little bit. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, uh, I've i got bills to pay and whatnot. So <laughs> anything I can get my hands on at the moment. And regardless, I still enjoy everything about it, you know. So anything to keep me going back to retail. <laughs> so does, does your university, or, or rather I say, I should say did since you've recently graduated, did they offer any any sort of resources or anything like that which could perhaps help you with applying for jobs or with finding freelance work after graduating? Um, from what I've seen, not a whole lot. I mean, I've not actively gone and searched, I'll be honest, on their websites. But usually they offer internships that aren't really relevant to games design. Um, and obviously with COVID, we've not been able to do very, just before lockdown we were meant to have a um you know an event with lots of employers and they usually get team 17 there and sumo and all the sort of big ones in this from this area and uh, obviously that was cancelled which was such a shame it was all part of the search for a star competition 
um, but I was really looking forward to meeting people in the industry there. So it's just one of those things. They they sort of set up more talks than they do opportunities. But sometimes the tutors on their own have sent emails after letting us know that, you know, there's a job opening or uh, sort of they go out of their way individually instead. Mm, I think especially in times like this now more than ever, I think the the impetus is on us to actually go out and put ourselves out there now more than any other time so i think it's really important to know you know put yourself out on discord servers on uh, articles anything like that which can just give you a little bit of a boost i mean absolutely i've just sort of been saying yes to everything at the moment you know anything to sort of put myself out there and get get my work known at least or seen um and so far i've it's been really good i can't can't complain too much uh you know where i can i'm trying to go out my own way apply myself and uh you know i'm in touch with a recruiter but you know there's only so much they can do and there's only so many job offers at the time Mm. so speaking about that recruiter do you sort of reach out to them on linkedin or how would that process work for anyone who's interested in that so the recruiter i'm working with is uh, grads in games um and they're a local company along with you know very similar to a company here called Ardark Swift and they're both recruitment companies um based in Yorkshire and um they have a lot of artist um jobs on their site unfortunately not so much in the junior <laughs> department usually senior or you know just really not in my area which is annoying but it's good to keep your eye open and there are options there the guy uh, that I've been working with Tom Ash, um, who is the sort of recruiter for Grads and Games, he's been really helpful. Um, but obviously, during this time, it, he's not got an easy job at the moment. But I definitely recommend any graduates go into him or Grads and Games in general. I think they've been really helpful. Mm, definitely. And then, would you say that Grads and Games and those sort of companies, recruiters especially, do you find that they are? they're approachable to people who may not be in the specific area where you are, or is that based on the jobs that you are looking for, those sort of area, or where you live specifically? No, absolutely. I think anyone can go to them. You know, they post all sorts. And in fact, they seem to, you know, if you can relocate, if you're not from that area, if you're willing to go elsewhere, even better, you've definitely got more opportunities. Mm. Speaking about relocation, you did say that, you know, obviously because of the situation that you're in at the moment, and also Ryan did say that last week, and it is a tough thing thinking about relocating, but often I think in this industry especially, you kind of have to go where the jobs are. So is that something that you are considering down the line, maybe when things have calmed down in the world especially? Um, It's very difficult for me just from a personal aspect because I have a very large family that I have never wanted to move away from and before I went to university I knew that I would sort of have to confront that idea and you know still be willing to move just not too far because you know family is (laughs) important very very much to me so you know I don't want to I think if you get an amazing opportunity I think it's okay to turn it down if there's stuff in your life that you sort of prioritize more um money isn't everything is it so definitely definitely i think it's i think you're we're very privileged to at least um we have the we have the option to choose that so at least we 
we're in the position where we don't really have to jump at any opportunity. We can sort of be a little bit more picky and choosy with I where we do. Certainly agree. Very privileged, in fact. Yes. <laughs> like you said, it is sort of a it's sort of a pick and choose your battles type of thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I am very lucky that I live, you know, sort of in the center of England. So, I if I would have to move, it actually wouldn't be too far anyway. Um, so definitely in a more fortunate position than some. Okay, so um, on the topic of freelance, obviously you're you're relatively new to this line of work, and we talked about um, our bills and keeping our heads above water and all of that. Um, mm. I wanted to briefly touch on your your thought process when setting your hourly or your project rate for freelance work. Was it simply a matter of you know calculating your monthly costs, say rent, food, insurance, all of that, and then adding X percent? Or so for me. I've not really got into sort of working it out that far yet because I guess at the time, obviously, when I got this offer, I was like, okay, this is not too serious. Um, but I think I'm definitely going to have to work that out if I start getting more, you know, uh, offers, which is very nice. But um, I think that's a good way of looking at it. But the way I sort of worked out my budget for this one is I actually went to an artist I follow and have gotten to know through the industry communities that we're talking about earlier um james braley and i asked for him for advice on it and he was very helpful and honest and just you know simply asked me how much do you value your time and gave me a rough indication and i also asked them who were hiring me you know what they were offering just to see if i was with, with within the ballpark and it turns out I was, and it just made me them take them a bit more seriously as well, knowing that they were willing to pay what I had in mind. Mm, I think that is a good indication, sort of seeing, first of all, going to an artist who has experience with it rather than, because I know personally when I sort of set my rate just based off, you know, what I need per month and then a little bit extra, it's often much too low in comparison to what we actually would deserve really based on exactly, yeah. sort of um, standards within the field and then also it's nice that you can sort of compare the two between the advice that you've gotten and what your what the job has offered you because then you can like you said you can sort of see if it's a little bit sus yeah exactly I think you know straight away as well I've noticed um, you know I've sort of offered to do an art test for them to see sort of what style they were wanting because they were kind of undecided and they've brought up the money before me which I think is another really good indication um, because I think it's really easily to get caught out with offers from people that simply can't afford you or your time so it's just I think we need to to create awareness around the fact that not every client, not every studio is going to have the morals that we might have about payment some people just want to get their get their work done and you know with no thought to the artist so i think it is just a little bit about creating these sort of standards that maybe we need in freelance uh, you know i absolutely agree i think i did a project um last year um which was a sort of remaster of an old game and it got a lot of um feedback from people in the community and fans of the game and so i had a couple of offers of you know people making sort of fan made stuff and you know very much oh we'd love for you to work on this with us and then when you mention you know a budget it's oh well uh and you know if you the, i think they expect you to be passionate enough to not care and it's like i've still got to pay my rent though you know 
Exactly, and uh, you're talking about your your slide piece, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so for, sorry for anyone who's listening or rather watching the podcast on YouTube. I'll attach George's piece for that, so you can look at that. And um, yeah, talk, uh, touching on that point, I obviously completely agree with that. that there's passion to a certain extent and obviously that passion is what led you to create that piece in the first place but then dragging that out for you know a couple of months or years for a fan-made project i mean ultimately yes it'll look good on your portfolio you might get a little bit of exposure from that but at the end of the day i don't think the amount of time invested into those sorts of things without payment is really worth it yeah and i i you know, I've been told multiple times by people never work for free. And I agree mm. with that so much. Never work for free. It's not worth it. Definitely. And I think I think it's a, it's a problem that maybe us as artists, we, we struggle with maybe more than other professions because our work is tied to sort of our our sort of our self-worth and our self-esteem about it because yes. we we sort of attach those to our pieces and then also in other jobs which might be freelance it's sort of you know routine work where nothing can really go wrong but with us we might be presented with a concept from a client where we go oh my heart surface isn't great maybe i can't match up to it so i think as an artist we or as artists we just need to sort of you know step up our self-esteem a little bit and say you know we are worth this hourly rate Gosh, I agree with that so much. And it, it really comes into the whole, you know, imposter syndrome needing to be sort of validated by people you look up to. And I think you have to sort of step back and say, well, they wouldn't be coming to me and asking me to, you know, to hire me if they didn't like my work. So and I think especially if you make something and it's maybe not the direction you want, they want to go in it's okay for them to iterate that and that too. I think we can be a little bit too proud about work, especially like I mentioned, you know, removing stuff from our portfolio um, that you might be proud of, but if it doesn't match what you want to do, then, you know, you need to work out what's going to benefit you most. Exactly. And then that also ties into, you mentioned that you said you were willing to do an art test for that freelance work. So my question there is, I can see the benefits of doing an art test for a gig. Obviously, both the client and you have some sort of reassurance that you're able to do this job before you get too far into it. But if they are approaching you to do work for them, surely from your portfolio or previous work that they've seen, I don't know, I sort of feel like maybe they should have enough assurance then. Yeah, so for me, that that was sort of, uh, sort of a different circumstance because I they seemed very unsure what style they wanted and what they kind of what they wanted me to make um and so i said right let, let me make this example asset and see what you think but that is that asset is what i got the deposit for because you know in my head i thought well if i'm going to spend time doing this i'm still going to be paid for it <laughs> um obviously i think if you was doing an art test for a company you, you were applying for that would be very different <laughs> um but in terms of freelance, you know, this was still going to take me a few hours to work out. And it just solidified what they wanted from me. And then I could sort of go ahead with the rest of the project. Mm, and I think also um, on the flip side of the coin, I think it does, whether you're, work, whether you're doing an artist for a company or for just a freelance gig, I think 
in a certain way it does give them an idea of how quickly you do your work so they know it doesn't take you a month to do a tiny prop or anything like that yeah exactly you know and it's so i think that's one of the hardest questions you know when you're asked well how long is this going to take you do you think and you know i have i just say i have honestly no way of knowing until i start working on it um for me i'm very honest when people ask me questions um i mean the the sort of payment method we agreed to is um so they felt like they weren't being taken advantage of either i used trello to record my hours um because that also encourages me to not procrastinate um if i know you know my hours are being recorded so that's something that works for me okay so you so i'm not really familiar what is what is trello so trello is like um I've got, I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of an online to-do list that you can set for yourself. And I'm obsessed with using it when I do any project because you can make checklists and whatnot. I should get an endorsement for Trello here. <laughs> but they, um, and then you can use, there's a, an extra extension through Chrome that allows you to record uh, how, you know, your hours, you just click a button and it starts recording. And then, so I'm going to use that later and say, look, you can clearly see here, this is how much time I've spent working for you. And then I can work out how much they owe me from that. And I think it's, you know, honest on both sides and they feel more comfortable and so do I. Okay, that's interesting. I think I should definitely look into that because one of my main concerns is, you know, if you say to someone, I'm going to work 40 hours a week for you, it's often in this day and age of the internet, it's hard for them to verify that you've been working 40 hours a week, for example. Definitely. And don't get me wrong, you know, people could easily lie and just press it and, uh, you know, start it going and then go off and look on Twitter or something. But I, I know personally, I feel way more pressured to get on with work if I know I'm being recorded to do so in a sense of, you know, no one's going to see it but me. But there's that internal pressure of you need to do work now, Georgia, get on with it. Mm, exactly. And maybe that helps with the planning process a little bit. We can all see you know, it took me X amount of time to do this. So then over time, we can get a little bit better with saying how long our ETA for art is. Yeah, I mean, massively, uh, we used it a lot during group projects in universities because you can you can put an estimate time down and everyone can each add their own individual estimates in. And then you can look at a graph and see how much time everyone individually has spent working on the project. So when we've had to put percentages in, of how much work people have done we've used that to work it out that's very useful i think i should definitely look into that because definitely. speaking to ryan again um he we were talking about you know how the planning stage of the project is often the most important in terms of dividing up your time and seeing where you're going to allocate all your different hours to and often often i feel like this stage when we're learning often our our time allocations are often not where they need to be so i think something like that is also definitely helpful for those type of things yeah i definitely recommend it <laughs> i'll definitely have a look at it okay so um speaking of your degree and your university experience i'd like to touch just a bit on how you got into game art because i can see on your art station i know you're also uh, a talented traditional artist. So what made you land on game art as a degree and a career? Wow. Well, oh, I started, well, I, I worked in retail for about seven years, I think, uh, retail and, you know, customer service and all that. And I was looking for a new job. I worked in a department store and I realized uh, it wasn't a new job I needed. It was a new career. 
and at that point I was only doing um, you know the portraits you can see in my portfolio the traditional ones you're talking about um, I was sometimes doing commissions on them and whatnot but nothing concrete it's just something I enjoy doing and I've always told myself I think a lot of artists do this they tell themselves that they can't make money from art they can't make a career out of it and so I went on Sheffield Hallam website and lo and behold they had a games design course and I looked at the prospectus and thought that sounds fun um <laughs> I applied and two weeks later I got in because I applied through clearing um so didn't have to do very much at all it was a very very quick process and then at 23 I was studying so what made you decide to make the leap from the traditional 2D, which I'm sure maybe Sheffield didn't offer, but what made you decide to jump from the 2D to the 3D? Well, initially I was looking at concept art. I thought that I wanted to be a concept artist um, and I'd always, you know, sort of enjoyed games. Um, I didn't actually, I mean, I'd never used 3D software. I haven't even used Photoshop before I went to university. Um, I was very much going off you know, maybe I can learn, maybe I can teach myself something here and have fun in the process. And it just, it was very lucky for me that, um, I mean, one of my first modules, we had to make a low poly room, um, which was terrible, but <laughs> but I learned a lot and I actually got, you know, a, a high grade in that. And that gave me that little confidence boost that I needed to say, you know, you can do this actually, you are good at it. Mm. It's interesting as I speak to more and more people in the industry, it's it's surprising how many people come from different professions before that. I mean, I know myself, I was in the, the engineering field before this. I know I know so many people that I've just heard so many stories of people saying, oh, I was 35 and then I decided to make the leap into the industry. So I think there's yeah. never really a better time to do it. I think it, it really depends on your age as well. I think, um, you know, Obviously, I was with um, people in my class that have come straight, you know, from college to university and gone in that process. And I think when I was in school, I think, which, you know, it's not that long ago, when I was in school, we weren't taught that art is sort of a viable option for a career. But I think now that generation is. Um, so I think a lot of people are late to the party kind of thing. Mm, I think I think especially in this industry more than anything else maybe I'm maybe I'm ignorant on the topic but I just see so many of these stories popping up more than any other industry yeah definitely so um it's interesting you say that for a long time you were you were hesitant to turn your art into a job because when I was preparing for this podcast I was looking through Twitter and I noticed that you contributed towards the the um, unpopular art opinion thread <laughs> where you said uh, that the statement don't turn your hobby into a job actually stopped you from pursuing art as a career for a long time massively yeah I, because I did you know portrait drawing and I had multiple people uh, tell me you know don't make your hobby into a career because then you'll you know you'll get bored of it and you'll hate doing what you love and you know coming out of university it's so different from what people tell you because you know, I'm now doing something I absolutely love doing and being paid for it somewhat, you know, a little bit. <laughs> but it's just so much more rewarding and satisfying. You know, of course, working in retail works for some people. But for me, the difference in just enjoyment out of doing a job is vastly different. Yeah, I've always I've always disagreed with that statement, although I, I can understand where they're coming from from a little uh, slightly. 
from my yes. point of view, I think that we are young artists in the industry. And I'm sure that over time we will become, you know, a little bit more jaded, perhaps a little bit more cynical about our jobs. Yeah. Um, however, I once had a friend tell me that they agreed with this because according to them, you know, every job is a job and no one likes their job. Honestly, I, 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 I don't think that, I think that if you're not getting some degree of enjoyment from your work, I don't think you're in the right profession. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I, you know, I've left a few jobs in my time for that very reason, because I wasn't getting enjoyment out of it. It has to be more than just a paycheck for me. Um, and I, again, that's coming from a very sort of privileged outlook on life mm. that, you know, sometimes people, that is their only option. Um, you know, and at one point it was for me, I worked at Domino's for years. But um, I think life's too short, isn't it, to to maybe not at least try and do what you love mm, like you said i think we're so lucky and privileged in fact to get up to wake up every day and do what we enjoy i understand that there are bad days and there are stressful days like any job but i think as long as as long as you know 50 percent of the time you're mildly not hating where you are i think you've made the right choice exactly and i think you know I'm not saying like later down the line, I'm not going to be at a job and be stressed and hating it one day, you know, just because you might be on a stressful project or something like that. But ultimately, if you can turn around and say, no, I, I enjoy being here, then, you know, it's it's good. Definitely. And I think adding on to that, it's not just the job itself. I think it's so much about where you're working, the people there as well. And as long as everyone has a generally positive outlook on it maybe i'm naive speaking this way but i think those things contribute so much to a positive work environment and people staying in the field longer than maybe they would have no absolutely i mean i know that nine times out of the ten the reason i've left jobs is not because of the job uh it was the people that i worked with and or management or something like that and i think it's so important to find somewhere that is full of good people definitely um just going back to something quickly i had a i skimmed past this a little while earlier um i noticed recently that you know with the the end of the university year that lots of artists are now they're posting their end of year results and all of that sort of thing so i just wanted to ask you in your opinion obviously those sort of marks they are you know it's a it's a set in so stone statement you know you got 60 70 80 out of 100 or, or maybe it's grades whatever the case may be do you find that your universities do they do they mark you on objective things like your technical skills or do they do they try and stay away from the subjective things like um inspiration and those sort of things that are so commonly tied to art uh no i i agree with the latter i think they very much you know, I've lost marks on simply not writing enough about what inspiration I got for making the project and, and referencing and, you know, trivial stuff like that. It's something I always lose marks out. Um, you know, I, I don't show my working out very well. And so that's something that always hinders me on the marks I got. That's interesting, because I wouldn't have thought that in a creative degree like that, that you would have to show you're working out so much i mean i understand that maybe the lecturer is just seeing the end product and they'd like to see how you got there but yeah no i mean yeah 
I think sometimes I do think it depends on who's marking it. I mean, you know, in first year we had to do a lot more uh, sort of documentation, and then by the time we got to final year, we they tried to lessen and lessen the amount of documentation we had to do. Um, but I, I got you know I lost some marks on my final project for not sort of explaining why I wanted to do stylized work, you know, and what it meant to me. And I thought, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just enjoy it. You know, how do you explain that? There's no deeper meaning. It's just something, it's a style I like and enjoy. Definitely. And also speaking from, I think in high school, back when I was doing art, I, I know that they were also focusing a lot on, you know, the visual diary and the the documenting of your work. And I can understand from the point of view that um, now on our portfolios, we often have to post breakdowns so that potential recruiters and, you know, jobs can see that we know what we're doing but on the other hand i think as long as you get the job done and it looks good it's kind of a it's a kind of a a moot point for me i think yeah that's very much my belief too and i always sometimes i always wonder if i should have done art in school because i know i didn't do art gcse or anything like that um or in college (laughs) um so i always wonder if i missed out on some sort of fundamentals um very you know luckily i had um a friend at uni that very much is aware of the fundamentals and composition and and so he helped me a lot when it came to my projects um so i was very thankful for that Mm, i think i think that there's an argument to be made for the the documentation and the breakdown process but i think i think anyone looking at work can see if there's been an improvement from the last yeah, exactly. I think, and I understand that obviously universities have a certain, you know, guidelines they have to follow and structures and whatnot. Um, but I think they really need to revisit the sort of art aspects and push more on what they can see in the final piece. And, you know, not so much, I think it depends on the module, you know, it made sense for concept art because, you know, you're showing your iterations and whatnot. but there's just 2000 words on there's only so much you can write about yourself you know and sort of fake of the reason you wanted to make the piece when really you just liked the look of it you know it's it's just it doesn't need that much explanation exactly in and my I, opinion anyway and i think that it's not representative of what you're going to be doing as a job because you're going to work for a studio or a freelance gig or something and they're going to stick a piece of concept art in front of you and say please can you do this for us you're not going to have any say in it really so describing exactly. describing your motivations for a piece may, yeah. maybe it's useful in some sort of way for before you land a job but 2000 words seems a bit excessive yeah exactly and and you know the whole point is that we were very lucky that we didn't have to do a thesis or a dissertation or anything like that but even that small amount of documentation still felt um not completely pointless, but not really important or as important as the marks made out to be. I mean, that part was only 15%. Um, but yeah, it, it, the I remember reading how they were going to grade it. You know, we get a feedback sort of rubric. And, you know, I talked to some of my classmates and we were just trying to make sense of the brief itself because sometimes it's so vague um, on what you're meant to write. Mm, I think... 
I think it must be difficult for universities to have some sort of standardized rubric for everyone because, of course, you know, maybe your piece was stylized and it was an environment. Someone else's was a realistic character. So I think they, yeah, do, I they do need to do a better job of sort of splitting those into maybe different aspects of the degree. Yeah, but and I, I agree with that. But obviously, I think um, this year is very much... Um, universities have enough on their plate so I can't see them you know changing anything anytime soon I mean every you know at the end of every module they always take a survey student survey to say you know what could we change and stuff and I know just from second year to third year they they've changed a lot every year based on student feedback so at least they are somewhat proactive in making changes definitely and I think that you know at the end of the day I think and not to say that the the graduation to job rate is great for any university especially but i think that enough people do go through the university curriculum and come out with a job so they must be doing something right exactly um i mean i i think what i learned at uni is valuable i learned so much in three years um and a lot quicker than i would have learned if i'd just gone about and done it myself and you know maybe not as expensive but <laughs> still equally as expensive yeah so um, I've got your, your latest piece in front of me here. And like I said before, your work seems to have a very wide range of styles and specializations. So I'd like to talk a, a little bit about the joust, if you don't mind. Yes, go for it. So um, I've got it on screen here. So, so stylized art is something that I don't have nearly enough experience in and I'm not nearly talented enough to do. So playing devil's advocate for a minute and I'm sure that I'm going to get a bit of a knee-jerk reaction here. <laughs> what would you say to the people who believe that stylized art is easier than others? Um, you're wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's, it's very, um, it's very subjective, isn't it? It depends on the piece. It depends on the style because I think, and I think the word realistic doesn't always mean, you know, hyper-realism. I think that, you know, that can be, some might call this realistic because it has PBR element. Um, but I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, in some ways I think it is easier because you can be a lot more lenient with it. You can get away with some mistakes, um, but it's very easy you know, there's, there's some aspects in this, I think, don't fit the stylized aspect well. And it's hard to find the blend you're looking for. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but... No, I understand what you're saying, because I think people so often, they, I think it's incorrect to just lump things into stylized and realistic. Often realistic has a stylized element to it, whether it's a 20% or, you know, 80%. Yeah, so, and I think all stylized is sort of, based on realism so you can't really say that they're two separate camps exactly yeah uh and so you know when i say people are wrong for saying that it's because it's so i don't think you can say either is you know either or is easier um it it just depends on what you're making definitely and just just so that i'm clear i do not think that stylized art is easier i am <laughs> you know, i am I'm, I'm not nearly talented enough to do stylized art i think i think it's so much more subtle than realistic because correct me if i'm wrong but i think there's just so so mm, i think there's fewer reference that you can actually refer to stylized because you know if i want to 
make a wood texture, brick texture, a concrete texture. I can literally put it into Google and two minutes later, I have something that will see me through the entire process. Whereas stylized, you kind of have to convert it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that was something I struggled with because, I mean, in the stone wall texture you can see there, I finished it not 100% happy with it. You know, one of the feedbacks I got from my tutor was that it looked very sub-designer, as he put it. You know, you can tell it's a tileable texture, which I agree with somewhat. Um, and I think looking back, I would have to sort of look at, you know, doing a paint over to match the rest of the style of the environment. But it is hard to, you know, make something look like this is meant to be a stone wall and then you know push the stylism in it that is something i'm still improving on um but there's some great references out there especially in a lot of tutorial youtubers like um 3dex and you know stylization and whatnot they have some great styles that um a good reference but yeah it's not as easy as just going into google and saying concrete marble you know <laughs> Yes, 3DX is uh, honestly one that's even having never touched stylized in my life, I honestly just love looking at his time lapses of his yep. work. Yeah, very talented. So would you say that, do you sometimes look at the, the conventional, uh, your Blizzards, your World of Warcrafts, your, I don't know, your Fortnites, your other stylized games for inspiration? Or would you sort of try convert the realistic in your mind a little bit? Yeah, a bit of both, honestly. I, I'm I'm terrible at um gathering, you know, a lot of reference. Um I'm trying to get better at it. Um <laughs> but a lot of the time I tend to just start making something and seeing where it goes. Um which I think is not always good. I think it's good to have as much planning as you can and constantly refer back to reference. So for this in particular I used a lot of um Overwatch and uh, Heroes of the Storm is always a good reference, um, especially with orb stuff, just in terms of sculpting. Um, but then I feel like I've developed my own style, so I think I tend to lean more into that now and then, you know, hopefully see it, that it goes all right. <laughs> so you don't necessarily... Um... I don't know, maybe I come across as completely ignorant here, and I am, but I, I just, my mind is not wired for stylized. But um, is there a certain process that you go through? Because cause obviously so much of the stuff is hand-painted, so... Um, so, well, none of this is necessarily hand-painted. This All of the textures were done in Substance Painter, but um, using a smart material. Um and I think I talked about it in my breakdown on the Games Artists Community website. So I, uh, I can't, not entirely sure, it might have been one of 3DX's tutorials. Um, it teaches you how to make a sort of stylistic base material in Painter. And I paid for that, used it, and developed my materials from there. But it certainly helps if you've got a good sculpt because it will, you know, naturally pick up the curvature of the texture and whatnot okay i'm glad that you said that so there is there's some method to the madness it's not just yes <laughs> it's not just go in and you know um try and get something vastly different every time if you are using a smart material with which i'm sure quite a lot of people do you will get yeah. similar results based on your curvature your thickness all of that yeah absolutely i mean um it makes texture a lot easier but then 
you know I did it a lot I went back and thought okay this needs a, a little bit more roughness variation or a little bit you know change the hues and the shadows and but I think if you've got something that you can lay down a very quick base on um you're gonna it's gonna make your life a lot easier mm, I do think my my opinion on designer and painter is that they're great for getting yourself a base because I th- I feel like maybe too many people will sometimes you know put on a smart material and just say okay I'm done this looks good yeah I, I think it's more about putting in that extra ten percent giving it a bit of roughness variation some hand painted elements just just making it so that you're not looking at a at a smart material yeah I mean I wish I'd gone back and done some hand painted elements it's something i'll definitely want to look into but you know one thing i did which i have an image of is i went and looked at you know in unreal there's an option you can look at your roughness maps um in the buffer virtualization mode. yeah and you know i just noticed that everything had a greater you know white to black value and i thought that's a bit boring so i used the um, color maps of my materials as sort of a foundation for the roughness and then tweaked them a little bit to sort of what I wanted and it just helped pick up the highlights in the sculpt you know and the shield the edges are shinier and, and stuff like that um, it pushed it a lot more at the end definitely and that's that's more of that human element to it because you know substance is going to give you those perfect PBR materials which are going to you know look realistic most of the time but I think piece to piece they're not going to look great unless you just inject a little bit more into them yeah definitely and you know it's simple as you know pushing a bit more of the ao in the maps you know not everything is magically done in unreal i think a lot of it is done in your materials and textures and that buffer virtualization modes looking through all of them is really helpful to seeing what else needs to be tweaked Mm. i was going to ask you a little bit about ao because Honestly, if I looked at stylized pieces, I wouldn't guess that they have too much AO, but would you say that all of the PBR maps, they, they do contribute to stylized work? Um, I mean, again, I think that depends on you and what kind of look you're wanting. Um, I mean, for this, I guess it's got a realistic aspect to it. So especially in the folds of the um, the cloth I wanted, I push the AO in them because otherwise, you know, they look quite flat without it. Mm. So then um, I'm assuming with those Marvelous Designer, did you sculpt those? Yeah, yeah. In Marvelous Designer, I threw, I made that barrier first uh, and then threw them on top, you know, simulated the cloth on top. And then I went back in ZBrush and, you know, sort of smoothed them out, added a bit more thickness to them to make them more stylized looking. Um, you know, Marvelous has a a knack for making very thin cloth mm, so. definitely yeah and then um if you had to give someone tips for taking those sort of those realistic shapes because we know maybe that realistic shapes have a little bit more you know a little bit more curvature a little bit more flow to them whereas stylized is a little bit more i think maybe chunky is the word i'm looking for how would you yeah. sort of go about approaching that so I'm sure there's lots of, you know, trim brushes and... Yeah, I mean, um, again, if you look up Orb on ArtStation, I think it's called Michael Vincent. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name correctly, unfortunately. But, you know, everyone knows him. He's the Heroes of the Storm um, 3D artist. He is like the master of stylized, in my opinion. And then um, uh, I use his brushes a lot, as do a lot of people. Um, he has free brushes on Gumroad, which are sort of stylized 
sculpting brushes and usually I use a lot of them on the edges and just make them a little bit worn down um, but they do it in a nice stylized way and then you know over the years I've gone on Gun Road and looked at different stylized brushes because you know any more materials you can get your hands on and tools then the better um, because you can make a lot your life a lot easier just with different brushes rather than trying to sculpt you know a crack yourself There's, there might just be a brush for that definitely i think that everyone just needs to build up their own their own sort of arsenal to tackle their own specific project because everyone does th things their own way it's what your brushes mm -hmm. obviously aren't going to work for me mine aren't going to work for you so i think it's exactly. just about finding what works yeah and sometimes you know if it doesn't work make your own you can make your own out of alphas and you know, input them into ZBrush. So there's there's always a way to get around stuff. Um, but um, anything, yeah, like I said, anything to make your life easier. Definitely. And then um, talking about breakdowns, we, we talked about how much maybe we don't enjoy doing them too much, but um, I'm looking at your breakdown here for your piece. And what I really like about this, and, and I'll show the images on screen, so you sort of made your breakdown sort of, you know, medieval calligraphy yep. sort of theme. I really like that. How did you, what was your you. your process behind that? Well, I mean, uh, for my um, uni assignment, we, you know, we had to sort of push the breakdown presentation and make, and I guess um, I just wanted to really improve on how I present my pieces and the renders of stuff. Um, so I used a lot of reference in just sort of medieval scripture and books and whatnot and uh, found this sort of border and tweaked it to make my own. Um, you know, every every aspect of the font, the, you know, the little circles behind the stuff to kind of make them look like they're stitched in there. Um, but yeah, I just used a lot of reference until it fit the sort of medieval feeling that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I really like it because I feel like it goes back to the extra 10% we're talking about. And, yeah. and maybe maybe studios don't really care that your your breakdowns are, you know, extremely pretty. But I feel like I feel like so often, I think especially speaking from personal experience, that if you spend a month, two or three months on something, by the end you kind of just want it to be done. So it is difficult to get the presentation as good as it could be. Yeah, I mean, it was that, it, it's that final hurdle. Um, but it, you know, when I look back at it now, it makes me, I think it makes people, you know, more willing to scroll. I think a lot of people are guilty of not really getting past the first page on a lot of projects, especially the screenshots, you know, as soon as they get to breakdowns, they generally stop looking. But I think with these, it makes them actually read what I've put on the page and, you know, how much effort you know that I have used trim sheets and whatnot um, which you might not be able to tell in the screenshots definitely and I think speaking personally it did make me go through all of the breakdowns and I wanted to read how you'd done everything just because it's Thank presented you. well and yeah. then um yeah because we so often see your you know your your material balls your your progress gifts and those are good I think everyone should do them but I think it's just about doing something different so that it stands out a little bit more yeah definitely i mean i've had some comments on there saying in particular they like the breakdowns i think because they are different and it's not just the standard rendered in zbrush or marmoset on a gray background so mm, exactly no it's... offense to people who do <laughs> i'm guilty of that too oh no i think absolutely everyone yeah. is but like i'm saying i think 
at that last that last final hurdle where we've spent three months you know sculpting and texturing yeah. we kind of just want to get a couple of pictures out there and get it done so it might not even look as good as you can see it on your screen so i think no one's going to be able to tell how good it is unless you spend the time on the presentation because no one sees the the hundred hours that you spent on it everyone sees the eight pictures that you put on your art station yeah exactly mm. And then um, speaking about thumbnails, so of course, um, I think we can all agree that so often on Art Session, people's artwork is judged in its entirety just by the thumbnail, Yeah, which is it's a little bit unfortunate, as I said in the previous episode with Ryan. How important is it, do you think, to spend perhaps a bit more time on your thumbnail than on your breakdowns? Um, I mean... I mean, most of my thumbnails are just images of the, you know, the final piece or the sort of first screenshot. Um, but I think, you know, this is the first impression that the employer is going to get of you. So if you've got an impactful, you know, thumbnail, then that is going to might be the difference between you getting your CV, you know, not looked at as opposed to someone else. So it's the first impression into it. I think it is important. Mm, it's something that I think about a lot because obviously, you know, our time is finite. We only have so much of it in a day, but uh-huh. I think, you know, a good thumbnail is going to get you the exposure, but I think the, the actual article, the actual portfolio piece is what's obviously going to get you hired, those breakdowns yeah. and everything, because, yeah. I mean, it's nice to get a couple thousand views on ArtStation, but at the end of the day, if none of that converts into a job, it's it's just that. It's just people looking and then going away. Yeah, exactly. And uh, again, a lot of people look and don't interact. They don't put the like, they don't do the retweet. And I think that is sometimes a little bit unfair because you're not, you know, just looking is not helping that artist. If you really do appreciate what they've done, give them a like, give them a share, because ultimately that's why they're putting that work up there to give them self-exposure, not, you know, and sometimes, yeah, we want that kind of, we want the likes and stuff, but like you say likes aren't going to get you a job necessarily exactly and i think so often we we attach uh, the likes and the views to the piece and whether we think it's good or not but often yeah. it's 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 really not relevant it's just how well did you get the piece out there and then did your thumbnail draw them in exactly yeah um you know and I'm very aware of that because on my Sly project, you know, a lot of my likes come from people being fans of the game, not necessarily the project, which, you know, I'm proud of it. Don't get me wrong, but it, it depend, you know, it, it was bound to get a bit more interest because people really want to see a remaster of that game. So, but, you know, these aren't employers necessarily. Exactly. And it's interesting you say that because there, I know there's some debate about, introducing fan art into your portfolio and things like that so, so what what's your opinion on that considering that you've done fan art in your portfolio i mean it depends what it is because i think this slide piece for me still shows a you know an interesting environment it's just it's only the same to me as using a reference piece of art um it just be it just happens to be that the reference i used was a game um so it, I don't think it matters what you use for reference so long as you credit it. I agree. And I think that 
granted that I don't exactly know what the, what the motivations beso- uh, behind the opposing argument are to not do fan mm. art in your portfolio. I think mm-hmm. I think if if you want to work for a a company that produces that kind of work, it shows to them that you can do it. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of people are doing Last of Us fan art at the moment. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because you're only taking inspiration from you would like you would an artist. The only difference is it's a game. Exactly. If anything, it gives you a little bit more freedom in terms of concept because, you know, I think as working in 3D, it may be difficult to translate 2D concept into 3D with just the one picture that you presented with. Yeah, it's it's really difficult. Uh, when I was choosing this final project, I had another piece that I was considering, and I sort of weighed this up with, um, you know, Harrison Yin Farway's piece, who's the artist that I use this concept from. Um, and I wrote sort of down a pros and cons list, and I decided that the other one was just not achievable in 3D. Mainly at my, you know, at my current skill set. Maybe in the future it is, but. In the time frame I had, you have to really think about what you can make in a 3D space um, because it can get so difficult down the line when you're trying to figure out what material is what. Uh, and, you know, as soon as you turn the camera lens, it's it's not going to be as easy as you think. Exactly. And I think that's something that, speaking from personal experience, I can't really say for anyone else, but I find that often I find a cool piece of concept art. I'm like, oh, this would look, I would really enjoy doing this. And then I realized five minutes later, oh, this has maybe a hundred different assets. There's nothing I can really make a trim sheet out of here. It's got huge mountains in the background, 18 different types of trees, you know. So I think we sort of need to play with this is a good concept versus this is manageable. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of my pros was that the other, they were both so impactful, but I had to, you know, really think, what was going to be more um well easier but i can't think of the word but what was going to save me a lot of time <laughs> exactly so just uh, time efficient maybe you could say yes yeah <clears throat> so then um when you look at sorry i'm going a little bit off the <laughs> i think i've taken up enough of your time here but um Uh-oh. when you look at a piece of concept art when you're considering doing it for a portfolio piece or something like that would you try and compose it as a single still image, maybe with a few breakdowns for your for your art station, or would you try and fill in the gaps to make it a full 3D environment, if you know what I mean? Yeah, so I try and think of sort of what's behind the, the view you're seeing, you know, what's behind the camera. Um, because, I mean, for, for this, for the Joust piece, it was sort of simple because I could see that you know, it was duplicated on the other side. Um, that was it was very much simply as that. And I don't show it as much because a lot of it is in the dark. But I think just looking at something from a still image, you know, I mean, think of it as a point from when you start to take screenshots, you're only giving yourself one uh, viewpoint to take a shot from um, if you're just working from a 2D image. Exactly. And I think as, as environment artists, we need to construct 3D scenes, not... obviously we have a bit of a tougher job because you know there are certain um points where the player will be directed to so you will get those sort of scenic moments where you can perfectly compose and your Mm -hmm. all of your rule of thirds and everything but for the majority of the time 
you know the player has the limit liberty to you know move the camera where they want so i think it's about yeah. constructing fully realized environments yeah definitely you know it needs to be you need to show as many skills as you can in one image i think um so you know but realistically when you do get a job as an environment artist you're unlikely to be setting up the whole thing yourself anyway exactly but if you've got those skills under your belt it's always a bonus mm, yeah i think it is okay georgia i think that's everything over here i don't <laughs> want to take up too much more of your time um no, you're fine. is there anything or anyone you'd like to shout out or plug before we finish up here uh absolutely um tom colston for starters he was my rock through uni he is a talented artist and every i've learned a lot from him so i want to shout him out okay awesome okay then i think we have it georgia thank you so much for taking the time to chat really appreciate it thank you so much best of luck with your freelance work and your art going forward thank you thanks so much cheers